Good morning. And welcome. Welcome to the Rogue Gospel Hour. That's right, today we're doing things a little bit differently. We're bringing you the Sunday worship service in the form of a radio-style broadcast, complete with some good literature, a lot of humor, sound effects, which will be performed by our lovely and delighted and talented congregation. More to come. So thank you for joining us today. For today's broadcast, the Rogue Gospel Hour, brought to you live from the beautiful Ashland, where the spiritual wind is blowing the leaves off the trees, and Thanksgiving is swirling in the air. The place where you move and breathe and participate. There are no slackers here. We are grateful today to have with us the phenomenally talented Horn of Plenty. <laughs> as well as the Voice in the Wilderness Theater. Okay. So whether you're rich, poor, young, old, living a life of the rich and famous, or the, the poor and anonymous, each and every one of us is welcomed here and always welcomed by God. So let's take some time right now to share some things we're grateful for. Take a moment, think about what you're grateful for, and then I'll give us a countdown, and then I'll have you just kind of sh shout it out, kind of popcornish, if you will. Okay? So you're thinking, 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 thinking. Three, two, one. Oh, I'm sorry, our radio audience wasn't able to hear you, so let's try this again. Three, two, one. Oh, yes. Cue theme music, Horn of Plenty. Come and listen in to the radio station Where the mighty hosts of heaven sing Turn your radio on Turn your radio on Turn your radio on Turn your radio on If you want to hear the songs of Zion Coming from the land of endless spring Get in touch with God Get in touch with God Turn your radio on Turn your radio on Turn your radio on Get in touch with God, get in touch with God, turn your radio on, turn your radio on. Wonderful. We, we joyfully await Thursday, November 25th with all of its celebrations. And we are reminded of 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, or 5, 16 through 18. We are reminded to thank God for the bounty with the shortest verses in the Bible. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Jesus Christ for you. 
what a great reminder to prepare our hearts for this season. This portion of our broadcast is brought to you by the new patisserie to the north of town, a talent for pies, where baking isn't just a job, it's a talent. when you open the door. <laughs> oh, that will be aroma for me, aroma for you, aroma for me. We'll take a taste and with bliss on your face, you'll get aroma. It smells good. Mm. What an assortment of scents. Saffron and uh, serrano. A plethora of perfume. <laughs> Pistachio? A uh, fragrance of fondant and a whiff of wooey wooey. Ooh. Ooh. Redolence of roibosh. A, a bouquet of... Um... Basil, I think. Yes. These uh, elder hostel foodie classes sure come in handy. <laughs> I know, I know. But no one seems to be coming to the counter. Hello. Oh, 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 oh. oh, sorry, I was in the back. Here, let me let me get my mask on. Oh, okay, yeah. We just saw that uh, you were open. So few places are right now. And uh, we wondered what you had available. Well, that's a tough question. What are you looking for? Pie? Is, isn't that what you make? Well, yes, but this isn't any old pie. These desserts are daring and delicious. Uh, well, let me guess. You have a talent. Pie. <laughs> and when you bake it, it's like a phoenix and it rises from the ashes. Ashland. <laughs> Are you done? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yes. Uh, what we want to know is what kind of pie you have. Oh, let me get Joey. I mean, do you have apple? Oh, apple's passe, Andy. That's what the foodie instructor told us. I'm more of a cherry person. Do you have any cherry? Yeah, yeah. we specialize in flavors that are more um, surprising. Joey! Yes, boss? Uh, these people want to know what kind of pie we have. Okay. <clears throat> La cucha, jabuticaba, pekin. Wait, 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 wait. I think Joey's speaking in tongues or something. I've, I've never even heard of these. And I've been to dessert classes. <laughs> Uh, are these fruits? Well, yes. We specialize in fruits of the spirit. Spirits? Oh, we don't want any of that. <laughs> really? No, I guess not. The minister's coming on Thanksgiving. <laughs> no. No, let me explain. We use fruits from around the world, and eating unusual things reminds us that the, there is a variety of blessings that God has given us. Like fruits of the spirit. Exactly. When you bite into the piki, for example. You'll either love it or hate it. Right. And you will think about patience. Yes, and fajua um, will remind you of God's faithfulness. Because it sticks to your ribs. <laughs> it's more of a, a pudding than a pie. <laughs> wow. Well, this is 
is pretty cool. So now that I understand, can you give us the list again? Oh, per certainly. La Cucha. La Cucha. La Cucaracha. La Cucaracha. Why don't you uh, just use lemon? Uh, because lemon is in the linser tort. We could have used the lemon in the ladies' navels. You have ladies' navels? Well, or the light sugar lurch. Or oh. the ladies' fingers. Ladies' fingers and navels. What goes in the rest of the ladies? <laughs> <laughs> Lilikoi? Uh, no, that's in the lefsa. <laughs> this is some shop. <laughs> anyway, lakucha is for love. Moving on. Jabu Tikaba. Must be for joy. Pumpkin. <laughs> Good. Pumpkin. Peace. Pecky. Patience. Uh, right. Uh, you'll either love it or hate it. Kahikatia. That must be for kindness. Gat. <laughs> it's good for the eyes. So goodness. <laughs> and we already had Fejoa for faithfulness. What's gentleness? Uh, Jenip. When what's self-control? Uh, snake fruit. <laughs> Scaly on the outside. Ew. But sweet on the inside. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to go through the list. I want to learn uh, this. La, la Cucha, uh, Jabo Ticaba. Pumpkin, Piki, Kahikatea, Gak, Fejua. Jennip snake, snake fruit. fruit. <laughs> Terrific. Not really, you guys. That was great. So what do you have? Well, I guess uh, pumpkin. <laughs> I mean, it is Thanksgiving after all. <laughs> poop poop doo pumpkin pie. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should get one of each. Well, uh, yeah, that's a lot of pie. We could invite everyone in town for dessert. <laughs> well, that's a great idea. All right, box up two of each. Is that enough? Eight pieces, two pies times nine fruits of the spirit, that's... Only uh, 144 pieces. Gross. <sighs> We'd better get a few more. Uh, okay, 20 of each. I think we're ready. Okay. Peace be with you. Happy Thanksgiving. Spiritual fruit, it does a body's soul good. We're baking up love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're baking up love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're baking up love. A talent for pies. A participle of peace in every piece of poop poop doo pumpkin pie. And now, Voice in the Wilderness Theater presents Deacon Pitkin's Farm by Harriet Beecher Stone. Thanksgiving was impending in the village of Mapleton on the 20th of November, 1825. The governor's proclamation had been duly and truly read from the pulpit the Sunday before to the great consternation of Miss Brisket, the dressmaker. So soon. I'm a dressmaker, not a magician. I don't see how I'm going to get through the things. With Safari's gown, Miss Deacon Trowbridge's cloak, and Lizy Jane's new merino. Not a stroke 
of work done on it. The governor ought to be ashamed of himself for hurrying matters so. This particular Thanksgiving tide was marked by exceptionally charming weather. The New England skies had forgotten to give their usual snap of September frost. The trees round Mapleton were looking like gigantic tulip beds, a phantasmagoria of color, and the great elm that overshadowed the red Pitkin farmhouse sent a yellow radiance through all the doors and windows. But wasn't it a busy time in Mapleton? <laughs> busy is no word for it. Oh, the choppings. The pounding. The stoning of raisins. The smells of pies and puddings. Ooh, who can utter it? In the roomy kitchen. Wait. Oh, there go. <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> in the roomy kitchen of the deacon's house, beautiful little Diana Pitkin, presiding over the roaring oven, which was to engulf the armies of pies and cakes for the ample tables. Of course, you want to know who Diana Pitkin was. Everyone wants to know. <laughs> A flashing pair of black eyes. A ripple of dimples around the prettiest mouth in the world. A frequent saucy laugh that showed teeth like pearls. And her quick wit. And a nimble tongue. And you won't wonder that Miss Diana was a marked character at Mapleton. Well, she's Dakin's second cousin, and it's mighty convenient relationship, as she has the advantages of cousinship with none of the disadvantages. Mm -hmm. She takes it into her head to ride or row or dance with any of them Pitkin boys. Well, why shouldn't I? Aren't they all my cousins? But if any of them advance on her... What can they be dreaming of? A cousin is just like a brother, you know. This was just what James Pitkin does not believe in. He was now walking over the hill and dale from Cambridge College to his father's house with a decided resolution to tell Diana that he is not and will not be to her just as a brother, that she must be to him all or nothing. James is the brightest, the tallest, and the handsomest in town. All, all the girls say so. And he is walking 35 miles home to eat his Thanksgiving dinner with me. Us. Us. But Di doesn't trouble herself with such thoughts. What? Now think about James. She only makes a special pie for each cousin. For there is Bill, the second eldest. She knows that Bill worships her very shoe-tie and obeys all her mandates like a Newfoundland dog. Well, I like Bill and Ed, Rob, Ike, Pete, and the whole healthy ramping train. <laughs> all day, she keeps busy by the side of Deacon's wife, a delicate, thin, quiet woman with thoughtful eyes and a step like a snowflake. And while her cheeks grow thin and her form spare, her strength in God grows daily stronger. Well, haven't we done a good day's work, cousin? Ninety pies of every ilk. Quince, apple, cranberry, pumpkin, and mince, enough to last over New Year's Day. Haven't we been smart? Oh, yes, daughter. You have done wonderfully. We couldn't do without you. <laughs> now, Deacon Silas Pitkin was too sensitive for the severe physical conditions of the New England life. And therefore, both suffering and inflicting suffering 
was his modus operandi. He was a man of the finest moral traits. Incorruptible probity. A scrupulous honor. Of an exacting conscientiousness. And of a sincere piety. But he had begun life with nothing. He was never sanguine of good, always expectant of evil. We shall all go to the poorhouse together. That's where it will end. Oh, no, no, my dear. We must cast our care on God. Oh, it's easy for women to talk. You don't have the interest money to pay the squire Norquist. You are perfectly reckless of expenses. Nothing uh, would do but James must go to college. And now see what you're bringing, it's bringing us. Why, dear, I thought you were in favor of it. Well, I did wrong then. You persuaded me into it. I had no business listening to you and, you and Jim and I have all this load on my shoulders. Yet Mary Pitkin, in her own calm, clear head, that her own toils would help pay for the yearly interest, and she knew this. She had seen her husband pass through the nervous crisis many times before, and she had learned to be blamed in silence. Her soul rested on her savior, the one ever-present inseparable friend. And when it did no good to speak to her husband, she spoke to her God for him. James? Yes, Father? <clears throat> well, we just can't afford your life of frivolity. You're willing to accept a life of scholarly ease while your mother and I work our lives away. But Father, I... I... I haven't gone out with the lads or, or bought new clothes and I've studied hard in, in the last years as God is my witness. I mean to pay you back for my education. You, you'll never have anything. $2,000 we owe on the mortgage and we'll likely not even make the interest this year. But Father. You couldn't get the school to teach this Christmas. That's your mother. She's working herself to death. She never gets any rest. There. I expect she'll go off in a consumption one of these days. There, there, Father, <clears throat> that's enough. Please don't say anything more. You'll see I will find, I will find something to do. As James turned from his father, he had taken a resolution that convulsed him with pain. There was a raging, a tempest in his soul. <laughs> Fine, Father. I'll give up everything. Where's Sam Allen's letter? <clears throat> Dear James, we're going to sail for India with a, a picked crew out of Salem, and we want it for third mate. Your college mathematics will be all the better for us. Come right off, and your berth will be ready and uh, away for round the world. Here, to be sure, was immediate position, wages, employment, freedom from the intolerable burden of dependence. But it meant the sacrifice of all his life's hopes. Will Diane wait for me? No. Why should she? But m mother mustn't work herself to death for me. I'll I I throw into the sea uh, to sink or swim as might happen. And then perhaps, maybe... Come back with money to help them all. 
All this was what was surging and boiling in his mind when he came in from his work to supper that night. Diana, will you take a walk with me tonight? Tonight? No, I promised Bill I'd go with him over to the husking at the Jinx. Why don't you go with us? We're going to have lots of fun. I, I can't. Besides, I, I wanted to walk with you alone. I, I had something special I wanted to say. Bless me, how you frighten one. You look solemn as a hearse. But I promise to go with Bill tonight. What you have to say will keep, I suppose. I am not at your beck and call. <laughs> the Pitkin folk that night sat down to an ample feast over which the impending Thanksgiving shed its hilarity. There was not only the inevitable great pewter platter in the center of the table, piled with boiled beef, pork, and all sorts of vegetables. And the equally inevitable smoking loaf of rye bread to accompany the pot of baked pork and beans. There were specimens of all the newly made Thanksgiving pies filling every available space in town. But the deacon had on his longest face. And James matched it. After dinner, he sat trying to fashion his parting note. Dear Mother, th this will come to you when I have set off on a four years voyage around the world. Father has convinced me that it's time for me to, to be doing something for myself. And after all, education's got other ways than at college. It's hard to go because I love home and hard because you'll miss me, though no one else will. But I won't burden Father another day. Sink or swim, I won't return until I have enough to do for myself and you too. So, goodbye, dear mother. I know your prayers will follow me, and I shall always, always be your affectionate son. P.S. The boys may have the chestnuts and walnuts in my room, and in my dresser there's a bit of ribbon with a locket on it. I was going to give it to Cousin Diana. Perhaps she won't care for it. But if she does, she is welcome to it. It may put her in a mind of old times. He leaned on the window and looked out at the great yellow moon that was shining so bright. A light ripple of laughter came from below, and he saw Diana and Bill step out from the shadowy perch. There's a chestnut for you, Mr. Owl. If you will stay moping up there, come now, it's a splendid evening. Won't you come? Uh, no, thank you. I I shan't be missed. Well, that's true enough. The loss is your own. Goodbye, Mr. Philosopher. Goodbye, Diana. What an awfully solemn voice James has sometimes. It would make his fortune as a Methodist minister. <laughs> James knew where he should find his mother. Beside her workbasket, there were always piles of work begun or finished, and there were also her few books at hand. She was not a mere unreflective drudge. She was a reader and a thinker, keenly appreciative of intellectual regions. Oh, God, our help 
in ages past, our hope for years to come. Our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Oh, Mother, you, you never rest. You, you never stop working. Oh, no, I, I, I'm just going to stop now. I only had a few last things I wanted to do. Mother, your, your life is too hard. You have no time for anything but drudgery. Oh, don't say drudgery, my boy. Work done for those we love is never drudgery. I'm so happy to have you all around me. I, I never feel it. But, Mother, you're not strong, and I don't see how you can hold out to do all you do. Well, when my strength is all gone, I ask God for more. And God always gives it. Hmm. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Yes, I know it. Mother... I want me to give, I, I want you to give me your Bible and, and, and take mine. I think yours would do me more good. Certainly, my boy, I will. Oh, I've seen you've marked your favorite passages. It will seem like hearing you speak to read them. If I ever get into heaven, it'll be through you. Oh, don't say that. It must be through a better friend than I am, one who loves you more than I do. I have not died for you. He did. Amen. Well, I must, I must not keep you any longer, Mother. Dear, it's time you were resting. Good night. And with a long embrace and a kiss, they separated. He had yet 15 miles to walk to reach the midnight stage that was to convey him to Salem. A little way on his moonlight walk, James' ears were saluted by the sound of someone whistling and cracking through the bushes, and soon, by a carter, the Pitkin's hired man emerged into the moonlight. And maybe it wasn't so tuneful. <laughs> Jim, we missed you at the corn husking. Bye. I need your help. A good berth has been offered to me on the Eastern Star, and I mean to take it to relieve my father of the pressure of my education. Well, now, you don't say so. So, uh, suppose you're disappointed and shouldn't wonder. Well, look here. Don't you want a sort of nest egg? I, I got 50 silver dollars laid up, and you take it on the venture and give me half of what it brings. I think considerable of you, and I expect you'll make it go as far mm. as anybody. Thank you, Baya. If you'll trust me with it, I'll hope to do something for us both. The whole village of Mableton on Thanksgiving Day morning was possessed of the fact that James Pitkin had gone off to sea in the Eastern Star, for Baya made the most of his information. And it fell on the heads of the Pitkin household like a thunderbolt. Mrs. Pitkin, pale and calm, read James's letter and then passed it to her husband without a word. The bright, fixed color in Diana's face had been slowly ebbing away till her cheeks and lips were pale as ashes. <clears throat> but my talk with James yesterday had no such serious purpose. It was, 
It was an escape valve. I never dreamed it, it would bear fruit like this. Didn't he know I was just proud of his talents and his scholarship? I just wanted him to know this was hard on us. Well, Mother? Well, Father, all we can do now is to leave it. We must trust in God's infinite will. This, this is all my fault. I, I, I should never have spoken to him as I did. Dear Father, don't worry about it now. You didn't mean it. James is a good boy, and he'll see it right at last. And he is in God's hands, and we must leave him there. He overrules all. Now, I must talk to Diana. True, is James gone? Can't we do anything? Oh, if only the ship wouldn't sail. I'd go to Salem and I'd beg him to come back on my knees. Oh, if only I'd known yesterday. Oh, cousin, he wanted to talk to me and I wouldn't hear him. There, there, dear child. We must accept it as it is now that it is done. Don't feel so. We must try to look at the good. Oh, he thinks I don't care for him, but I do care. I love him better than anybody and anything under the sun, and I'll never forget him. He's brave and noble, good man. I, I don't care who knows it. Give me that locket, cousin, and write to him that I shall wear it to my grave. Diana, there is no writing to him. Oh, dear, that's the worst of it. Oh, that horrid, horrid sea. Don't, dear child, don't. You distress me. Let's go find that locket. Oh, it seems like death. Don't you think the ocean is like death? Wide, dark, stormy, unknown. We cannot speak to or hear from those who are on it. But people can and do come back from the sea. I trust in God's own time we shall see James back. Remember the psalm, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. Diana beheld her face as if it had been the face of an angel. She kissed her and turned away in silence. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the game, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me. In the eye of the storm When the solid ground Falling out from underneath my feet Between the black skies and my red eyes I can barely see When I realize I've been sold out By my friends and my family I can feel the rain reminding me in the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the gale, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. My hopes and dreams are far from me and I'm running out of faith. 
I see the future I picture slowly fade away. And when the tears and pain and heartache are pouring down my face, I find my peace in Jesus' name. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the gale, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. Well, today is about laughter. And that sounds very ironic after following that song. But it is about laughter and silliness. These are also gifts from God. These are gifts we need to help us bear the burdens of the past several months. These several months of anger, isolation, frustration, loss, and disinformation. These have not gone away, but we thank God for the time that we can be together again. There is still injustice, inequity, prejudice, bias, and hostility. But humor, humor empowers us to transform our circumstances. Laughter gives us a different base from which we can relate to each other. The gift of laughter is a powerful force for good. It helps ease tensions and inspire us with possibilities. It bridges divisions and heals wounds. It can humanize rivals and give us a new perspective on others and their situation. It can unite us. It can topple idols and raise us to new levels of understanding and empathy. It can fuel the fires of hope. Today, we thank God for humor. But we've been constantly reminded of, of God's grace upon us this year. Uh, through those on the front lines of the COVID pandemic, those who've created and tested new vaccines in record time, those who've been working on fire recovery for our community, those who've been our hands and feet of ministry, even though we are masks, masked. We are grateful to God for every blessing we've been given. And these blessings empower us to be a blessing to others. In God's grace, we give our thanks. And so, will you please join me in praying this very ancient prayer of the church, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now, the Voice in the Wilderness Radio Theater returns us to Deacon Pitkin's farm. After all, we can't leave that poor family on the verge of collapse. 
especially this close to Thanksgiving. Seven years had passed, and once more the Thanksgiving tide was in Mapleton. This year it had come cold and frosty. The great elm over the Pitkin farmhouse had been stripped of its golden glory, and the knotted twigs of the branches knocked against the roof and rattled and ticked against the upper window panes. Seven long years had passed since James sailed, years of watching, of waiting, of cheerful patience at first, and at last, of resigned sorrow. Once they heard from James, at the first port where the ship stopped. It was a letter dear to his mother's heart, manly, resigned, and Christian, expressing full purpose to work with God in whatever calling he should labor, and cheerful of hopes of the future. Then came a long, long silence, and the tidings that the Eastern Star had been wrecked on a reef in the Indian Ocean. I gave him to God, and God took him. I shall have him again in God's time. This was how she settled the whole matter with herself. Diana had mourned with all the vehement intensity of her being, but out of the deep baptism of sorrow, she emerged with a new and nobler spirit. She dedicated herself to James's mother. She read, studied, and fitted herself as a teacher in a neighboring academy, and persisted in claiming the right of a daughter to place all her earnings in the family purse. And this year, there was special need. With all his care, with all his hard work and that of his family, Deacon Silas never had been able to raise money enough to annihilate the debt upon the farm. There seemed to be a perfect fatality about it. One year, their barn was burned, just as they had housed their hay. And on another, a valuable horse died. And then there were fits of sickness among the children and poor crops in the field. And low prices in the market. And now the deacon had been for nearly a month on a sick bed with typhus fever, the doctor doing everything he could to make certain that he should never rise again. <laughs> the Silas Pitkin had a constitution that withstood both dead and the doctor and was alive in a convalescent state which gave hope of his being able to carve the turkey at his Thanksgiving dinner. There was an air of calmness and repose on his thin, worn features that had not been there in the days of old. The haggard, anxious lines had been smoothed away, and the spiritual expression which sickness and sorrow sometimes develop on the human face reigned in its place. Wife... Uh... Oh, something I can't remember. Read me the uh, the, the Bible. It's uh, the eighth of Deuteronomy, I think, uh, the second verse. Remember the long way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, <sighs> testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger and fed you manna to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's what I've been thinking of as I've lain here, sick and helpless. I've, I've, I've fought hard to keep things straight and clear and at the, the farm, but it's pleased the Lord to bring me low. 
I've had to lie still and leave it all in his hands. And where better could you leave all? Well, just so. As I've been saying, here I am, Lord. <laughs> Do with me as it seems good to you. And I feel a great quiet now. I think it's doubtful if, if we make up the interest this year, and yet I don't worry. His will be done. There was a sound of rattling wheels at this very moment. Welcome home, Diana. Here I am for Thanksgiving. And here is the interest money for this year. I got it all myself because I wanted to show you I could be good for something. Thank you, dear daughter. I felt sure some way would be found, and now I see what. A very pleasant, pretty way it is, too. I was afraid that Uncle Silas would worry and put his health back. Well, daughter, it's a pity that we should go on to all that we do in this world and not learn anything by it. The Lord has taught me not to worry, <laughs> but just do my best, leave myself and everything else in his hands. After all, we can't make one hair white or black. If I, and if I had known that years ago, I would have been a better for us all. Never mind, dear. You know it now. Well, now I should like to know what Bia Carter's coming here about. Good evening, Deacon. Good evening, Miss Pickens, servant ma'am. How y'all getting on? <laughs> Nicely, Bia. Oh, well as can be. Well, you see, I was up at the store, and I see this darndest big letter there for the deacon. And Miss Brisket, she was in looking at it. And so was Miss Deacon Simpson's wife. And they're all looking at it, and they're all talking it over. And could none of them for their lives think what it could all be about? It's such an almighty thick letter. Here you are, sir. Uh, I hope uh, there isn't bad news in it. Why, Mother, do look. Is this so? Do I read it right? Certainly you do. Somebody's paid the farm debt, Uncle. <laughs> Thank God he has done it. Well, I swear, if this don't beat all, there's old Squire Norcross's name on it. That's the receipt, full and square. What, what's got into the old critter? He must have got religion in his old age. But if Grace made him do that, Grace has had a tough job. <laughs> well, I must be getting along home. Right, Jane will be wondering where I am. Good night on y'all. The Pitkin family were seated at supper on the big table or in the big kitchen, all jubilant over the recent news. The father, radiant, had come out to take his place at the family table. In the seven years since the beginning of our story, the Pitkin boys had been growing apace. And now surrounded the table quite an army of rosy-cheeked, jolly young fellows, who tonight were a perfect tumult of animal gaiety. <laughs> Diana twinkled and dimpled and flung her sparkles around among them all, and there was unbounded jollity. Who's that looking in the window? And walking across the porch. And opening the door? Mother, don't you know me? James, oh my son, my son. There were a few moments of indescribable confusion during which Diana retreated, pale and breathless, to a neighboring window and stood with her hand over her locket, which she had always worn upon her heart. And a few moments 
After a few moments, he came, and she felt him by her. What, cousin? No welcome from you? She gave one look, and he took her in his arms, and she felt the beating of his heart, and he felt hers. Neither spoke, yet each felt at that moment sure of the other. I say, boys, who will help bring in my sea chest? Never was a sea chest more triumphantly ushered in. It was a contest to see who could get near it to take some part in its introduction, and soon it was open, and James began distributing the contents. There, Mother, I, I'm determined you shall have a dress fit for you, and here's a real India shawl to go with it. Get those on, and you'll look as much like a queen among women as you ought to. Look, presents for all of us. Whoa, what's that? Uh, that's, uh, <clears throat> well, that's my wife's wedding dress, satin. <laughs> and here's her shawl. Diana, you're turning red. <laughs> all right, my daughter, just right. What an evening that was, to be sure. What a confusion of joy and gladness. What a half-telling of a hundred things that it would take weeks to tell. James had paid the mortgage and had money to spare and how he got it all and how he was saved at sea and where he went and what beheld him there. He promised to be telling them for six months to come. Well, your father mustn't be kept up too late. Let's have prayers now and tomorrow we'll be fresh to talk more. Father, let me read my psalm from Mother's Bible. It's, it's been my psalm ever since I left you. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in the mighty waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind that lifts up the waves. They mount up to the heavens and they go down into the depths. Their courage is melted away by calamity. Then they say to the Lord in his trouble, and he brings them out of their distress. Let them praise the Lord for his steadfast love and for his wonderful works to his children. And the next day, Thanksgiving, James and Diana were married before the wedding dress could even be made. <laughs> and on that happy note... The Horn of Plenty presents a unique piece for Thanksgiving. Plenty of horns, everybody. Gospel Hour now presents Lives of the Circuit Riders. Uh, 
brought to you by the Thanksgiving Council, posting their website, Five Daily Reasons to be Grateful. And it's going to be so much fun getting together with the Corner Episcopal Church. I agree, Grace. I think this is what God would want us to be about, creating community with all of God's children. Reverend John, so good to see you, brother. <laughs> Welcome, Reverend Charlie. Well, make yourself at home. Hi, I, I'm, I'm Prudence. What, what, what should I do? Well, come this way. Just bring your food in here. Oh, it's so gracious of the Methodist Quadrilateral Church to host a joint Thanksgiving meal. <laughs> Woohoo! Well, two of our members, Rose and Andy, brought a lot of pies and a talent for pies down the road, and they wanted to share with the community. What a thoughtful thing to do. I, I was really tired of having the same old dessert every year. Well, from what I understand, that won't happen this year. <laughs> this, each of the pie relates to a fruit of the spirit. Some of them I can't even pronounce. Oh, this will be fun. I'm excited to try something new. For dessert, that is. I'm a traditionalist <laughs> when it comes to dressing. Dressing? You mean like salads or suits? No, 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 like, like turkey dressing. I really like breadcrumbs. And anything with it? Well, I can stand a little bit of celery, maybe a mushroom or two, but don't mess with my dressing on Thanksgiving. Uh, we may have a problem. We only make cornbread stuffing at our church. What? Cornbread stuffing? Don't tell me you actually... Put it inside. The birdie doesn't cook properly. We could all get sick. But we always... <laughs> Reverend Charlie! Yes, you need some help? What, uh... You settle again nicely? We have we? a problem. Uh, well, sharing problems. Uh, sharing kitchens. I know it can be hard to turn over the keys to the local cabinets, but after all, I mean, it is Thanksgiving. They want to serve cornbread stuffing in the turkey! In cornbread? But we've always done cornbread. After all, it symbolizes how the Native Americans helped the pilgrims grow corn to survive, you know, peaceable kingdom. But traditional breadcrumbs are theologically more like communion. Reverend John, I need your help. Oh, well, what seems to be the trouble? Nothing that a great piece of... Kahikatiya pie can't solve. <laughs> well, wait, the Episcopal, the Episcopalians don't eat cornbread stuffing. Don't eat. But but we put it in little bits of andouille sausage. And, mm. Reverend John, that's just un-American. <laughs> Next, you'll be saying uh, that you're roasting turducken or tofurkey. Oh, turkey? <laughs> Listen here, Father Charlie. Who do you think we are? Presbyterians? Oh. <laughs> I think we have a major denominational difference. And I know that Jesus ate with his enemies, but the dressing problem just crosses the line. <laughs> Did they teach you that in seminary? That Jesus never ate cornbread stuffing? Yes. He always ate breadcrumb dressing on this sacrificial lamb. <laughs> oh, and served wine like all Episcopalians. No, he turned the wine into water in good Methodist tradition. <laughs> hey, Rose, uh, Reverend Charlie and Reverend John are in the theological discussion about this meal and the debate over cornbread stuffing versus breadcrumb dressing. So what's the problem? 
It's looking like our two churches will have to cancel this Thanksgiving celebration. Can you take the pies back to the shop? I don't want to. We're going to have fruit of the Spirit pies, and nothing is going to go to waste. But if we can't even get to the fruit of the Spirit we, with the uh, dressing stuffing problem, or... Tofurky! Turducken! Turkey. Ducking the problem? No, no sweat. Prudence has just created the perfect solution. Boyd came in with five loaves of bread. She found some celery and made ecumenical stressing. <laughs> What's that? Addressing stuffing that has something for everyone. It's got cornbread and breadcrumbs. What? what? Why, that's, that's broad gauge theology. <laughs> <laughs> and celery and mushrooms. And andouille sausage. And chestnuts. And cranberries. It has it all. And a good splash of sacramental wine to add some body to the body. Sacramental wine? Don't, don't worry. It'll evaporate in the cooking process. Well, thank God for prudence. <laughs> mm, I can smell it. it. Roasting with the turkey. John, I think this is going to be the best Thanksgiving celebration ever. <laughs> oh, you're right, Charlie. Let's go to the highways and byways and invite everyone to come on in. I think we're going to have to set up some more tables. <laughs> Circuit Riders, brought to you by the Thanksgiving Council, providing recipes on their website so you can create your own ecumenical stressing, settling denominational difference in new and creative ways, and bringing everyone together for Thanksgiving. Well, that's about it for our, this Thanksgiving broadcast of the Rogue Gospel Hour. We pray God will keep you safe and sanctified with grace-filled hearts until we're together again. And remember to be thankful every day, not just Thursday. Come and listen in to the radio station where the mighty hosts of heaven sing. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. If you want to hear the songs of Zion coming from the land of endless spring, get in touch with God. Get in touch with God. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, turn your radio on, and listen to the music in the air. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, heaven's glory share, heaven's glory share. Turn the lights down low, turn the lights down low, and listen to the master's radio. Get in touch with God, get in touch with God. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on. In our broadcast today, 
Horn of Plenty, Barry Braden, James Hetland, Darlene Wheeler, Neil Wheeler, and the Balcony Brass. On piano, we have Jennifer Shalomi, our sound engineer, Bruce Borgerson, sound effects, Carol Heisel, and the Congregation of Celebration. And our slide operator, Lois DeBruno. Voice in the Wilderness Theater, Ed Gaunier, Bobby Kidder, Brett Strobel, Melinda Strobel. And the Rogue Gospel Hour was written by Melinda Strobel, Harriet Beecher Stowe, whose sto story, Deacon Pitkin Farms, we adapted. This has been a By the Seat of Your Pants production. Now we're flying. <laughs> Everybody, thank you for coming. Happy Thanksgiving.